This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. It might be the ultimate Hollywood disaster movie about itself. Actors, studios, when will they go back and start talking? We'll go in-depth. And then we're going to hear from some of Hollywood's support businesses who are hurting badly. And they're growing desperate for film and TV production to get going again. And what if Hamas had no real strategy or even goals after its terrorist attack on Israeli citizens? Also, we will talk with one Israeli mother whose son was kidnapped from that dance music festival. He is now being held in Gaza. We start with the actor's strike, which is now destined, it seems, to drag on. Adam Chitwood is executive editor of The Wrap. Adam, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So what went wrong? Uh, you know, it, it seemed as though uh, silence was a good sign uh, once negotiations restarted between SAG-AFTRA and the studios last week. Um, each day, you know, we we got an update every evening, a joint statement from both sides that talks were continuing. And then last night, the surprising announcement from the AMPTP that they were pulling out of negotiations, suspending the talks, uh, saying that the gap between the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA is too great. Uh, interestingly enough, there have been talks yesterday and today with members of uh, those studios. Ted Sarandos speaking today at Bloomberg Conference, Screen Time in L.A. Um, he pinpointed a proposal from SAG-AFTRA that he uh, characterized as basically a levy on subscribers on top of this deal. Uh, and he said that uh, the levy on top of their revenue per subscriber had no insight into the revenue per subscriber and felt like, quote unquote, a bridge too far to add this deep into the negotiation. Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, SAG-AFTRA's chief negotiator, uh, speaking on the picket lines today to Hollywood Reporter, said the decision uh, on the AMPTP's part to pull out is quote-unquote mystifying to him. So what we're seeing now is uh, apparently the two major sticking points between the two sides seems to be AI and uh, residuals or um, any kind of additional payment to these actors uh, tied to viewership on these streaming platforms, which uh, were early on pegged to be the two major issues uh, in these negotiations. But Adam, I was going to say, I mean, so we've come full circle. Uh, it's the same issues that we started with, and yeah. they haven't really, if, if anything, they're farther apart now. That's what it feels like. Uh, and, and it feels like, uh, you know, the AI issue in particular is one that there has been little movement on. Uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland saying today uh, that the studios are sticking with um, a, a clause in the contract that would allow for a digital scan of an actor to be made on the first day of a project. And that scan could be used in future movies in that franchise, uh, which SAG after has, has drawn a hard line in the sand on. And then obviously the, uh, residuals issue is continuing to be a sticking point between the two sides. Did the actors go into it with their hopes too high after the writer's deal? Uh, I don't know if I can say that. I think everyone in Hollywood did have their hopes up high. And again, it felt like a good sign. It felt like it would move forward. Although reporting on our side suggested that this would be a longer negotiation. I think some people were thinking it would be a quick uh, deal. But given the complexities involved, specifically with AI, specifically with residuals, uh, our reporters were expecting negotiations to take uh, some time, a few weeks at least. Okay, so the strike continues uh, with increasingly devastating impact on the economy in Hollywood, but also in Southern California. Does that, do you think, even 
weigh on the minds of, in this case, say the producers? I think it weighs on the minds of everyone. I mean, right now, there is a clock ticking to save the broadcast television season. If production cannot get resumed by the end of this month, a lot of those shows uh, will not be coming back mid-season. Or, you know, there was a hope that a ticking clock would be here in October to get some of those shows back up, get some of those films back up. Donna Langley, uh, president of Universal, said last night at screen time that uh, she worries that there will be a dearth of films in 2024 due to this strike. I think everyone acknowledges and understands the weight of what's going on here. And I think everyone is frustrated that uh, it's taking so long. Adam Chitwood, thank you so much. Uh, Executive editor of The Wrap. You know, uh, no one was rooting harder for resolution to the actor's strike than Hollywood's numerous support businesses. So we will talk with a few of them when we come back. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Got the prospects, the possibility of a wider regional war in the Middle East be fizzling out. We're going to talk with one expert for an in-depth view. Right now, though, uh, with contract negotiations fizzling out and no new talks scheduled, there is the bleak reality that the actors' strike could extend for weeks or months more keeping film and TV production shut down indefinitely. And this could be the worst possible news for Hollywood's numerous support businesses. Michael Moore runs one of those. He's owner of Hollywood Honey Wagons. Michael, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So I would presume, like most people uh, whose living depends largely or maybe entirely on the motion picture and television industry, you had high hopes that this strike would end pretty soon. Where are your hopes now? Less than high. Uh, Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. There's lots of us little guys out there that are hurting big time. You know, there was uh, some talk that uh, if they don't get this done soon, this is way back when, if they don't get it done as we get into October, it's going to be too late and probably nothing's going to happen before uh, next year because now we're coming up on the holidays and everything. Uh, how do you feel about the prospect of that? If, if, if we're falling apart right now and there's nothing on the table uh, as we speak, uh, are you afraid that this will go into next year? And can you survive as a business if it does go into next year? My business is having a, a real hard time of it, but uh, we have, incredibly, we haven't laid anybody off yet. And, uh, but that's probably going to change pretty soon. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it, I was really hopeful after the writers signed their deal, but uh, this is, you know, Very frustrating, to say the least. Michael, your business aside, as important as it might be, I'm curious how your own personal life has been impacted by this. Uh, uh, Well, my personal life revolves around my business, uh, sadly, because the business, you know, it's pretty much practically 24-7. So... 
I, I've been my personal life has been hustling a lot more, and and trying to, you know, drum up business from events from uh, uh, also, and I can only say thank God for commercials, and there's and there's a, a few people who have helped me a great deal. A guy named Craig with On Location Motorhomes, uh, who works in commercials, has been a big help. Um, and another gentleman named Kildar, because thank God commercials are still working. So I'm I'm a teamster, and I've been driving a lot too. So tell us a little bit about fun. what your what your business does, Hollywood uh, Honey Wagons. What kind of service do you provide? Uh, we provide dressing room trailers and uh, makeup and wardrobe trailers uh, and and thank God uh, mobile restrooms as well. So the dressing room trailers and we have these uh, mobile offices all can be seen at hollywoodhoneywagon.com but so I, I thank God I've, there's an event coming up in Las Vegas and I have a couple of the office trailers going there. Um, and, All right. And uh, yeah, stuff I, like that. I'm, you know. Okay, stay with us, Michael. We want to bring into this discussion Sean LeBlanc, who is co-owner of Valentino's Costume Group in North Hollywood. Uh, Sean, how are you doing? Doing fine. How are you? All right. So we were just listening to Michael Moore, who uh, is the owner of Hollywood Honey Wagons, who is with us still, um, about how this very long strike has impacted his business and his personal life, which is, as he points out, really intertwined and indistinguishable from his business. What about you? Yeah, it's intertwined and indispensable from the business, too. Yes. Um, we uh, moved to a new space in January, February and became a union signatory house, which means we are now able to do more business for film and TV. And then, of course, we had both strikes, which shut that down over the summer, um, which has really impacted what we do. We um, also do theater in schools and things like that, but schools were out for the summer, theater, you know, marginal. So it's been very hard. We even had to have a GoFundMe to actually continue uh, getting the rent for the space. So it's been very difficult. All right, our uh, guests uh, right now, Michael Marr, uh, who runs a business called Hollywood Honey Wagons. Also, Sean uh, LeBlanc is a corner of Valentino's Costume Group in North Hollywood. Our guests are going to stay with us. We're going to take a quick break now, and KNX In-Depth will continue. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. At the end of today's In-Depth, we'll hear from a mother in Israel who is living every parent's worst nightmare. Her 21-year-old son was kidnapped by Hamas from that uh, dance music festival, which came under attack in the opening minutes of the invasion. She tells us her story and her hopes that her son can make it out of uh, Gaza alive. Right now, though, all the businesses that help make Hollywood run, you know, we're talking about caterers, set designers, uh, they've already been hanging on by a thread. Almost all film and TV production has been shut down for over five months now. And now they're facing the prospect of several more weeks or months or maybe into next year 
of an actor strike. We have our guest with us right now, Michael Moore, owner of Hollywood Honey Wagon, Sean LeBlanc, uh, corner of Valentino's Costume Group in North Hollywood. Uh, thank you so much for remaining with us on uh, In Depth. Uh, Sean, uh, I wanted to uh, mention to you and, and ask you the same question that we asked Michael a few minutes ago. Uh, now there is the possibility that, you know, if we don't resolve this actor strike soon, uh, we're coming into the holidays, and, and a lot of people really don't think that anything will get done over the holidays. That pushes us into next year. Can you survive? Can your business survive if we go into next year? Um, it will be very tough for us. We, you know, we do theater, thank goodness, and we do schools as well as the industry. So that's been a help. And right now we're doing Halloween. But, you know, we counted on moving to this more expensive new place to have the industry uh, come in so we could do film and TV and on, on a higher level. And so it's been very, very hard. And thank goodness our landlords are at least working with us for this. But it's real tough. It's very tough. Michael Marr, you were talking before about uh, you're glad there are commercials and you can get work there. Uh, Are you starting to give any thought to a totally different business? Uh, Yeah, I'm starting to – I'm actually entertaining – selling my business, although the timing couldn't be worse. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm grasping at straws just like Sean is. How, how long have you had your business? Uh, 30 years, since 1989, actually. Longer, wait, uh, 30, uh, right. four years. And and Almost. this and what you're saying is that because of this strike, you're giving serious consideration to to getting rid of it. Yes. Sean, let me ask you: uh, Do you support the actors uh, going out on strike? And if you do, uh, if you think you, that they deserve uh, what they're asking for in these contract deals, if this drags on, though, will will your frustration kind of overtake that? Well, I support my brothers and sisters in, as this entire company does, 100%. Um, We all do this together, and it's Mike and me and everybody else out there on a set, and we're doing this, and, you know, people need to be paid what they're worth, and what they're asking for, especially with AI, is not uh, unreasonable because that affects us as well. If you spend, uh, you know, scan someone and then use them on the same project, that takes away from costume people, costume rentals, costume builds, hair and makeup, catering, all those things. It's a trickle-down effect to all of us. And I will support them as long as they're on strike, 100%. Sean, you heard you know, Mike. We have to be together. Right, Sean, you heard Michael just before saying that uh, after almost 40 years in the business that he uh, has had, has, he's giving serious thought to giving it up. What about you? Um, I've been doing this for 38 years. I started very young and been in the costume business, and we've had the shop since 98. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'm working very hard to give on and not give up. It has been, as Mike, my entire life's work. It is my job, my hobby, my life, my identity. And it's really hard to let that go. So we're fighting everything we can to survive. 
You know, Sean, you raised a very interesting point, and we should maybe dig into this a little bit more uh, about AI. Is you know, actors, uh, one of their their major sticking points is uh, they don't want to be replaced by AI, and that is behind a lot of worker strikes these days. You want to, you don't want to be replaced by automation or AI. But you raise an interesting point that your business could be affected if the studios begin to use more AI technology to replace actors. That that hurts your business because you are in the business of cost. Assuming physical, real people and not uh, not CGI creations. Are, are there up other uh, side businesses in the Hollywood industry that you can think of that would also be affected by AI? Oh, completely, because AI has the ability to generate sets and hairstyles and props and all sorts of things. So our entire industry is something that could be, you know, a downfall to this. Um, you have it infiltrating so many different things. And there was a lovely post on Facebook where someone said, let AI come in and pull costumes, um, you know, because it can't do that. It's like it's certain things. AI does not make new things. It actually plagiarizes existing pieces. It takes from what's already there. So, and that was one of the writer's things. They cannot come up with new concepts. It recycles things that are already out there. Very briefly, and, Sean, Sean and Michael, before we leave you, uh, how is this impacting your families? Uh, Michael, you first, and then Sean. Well, I must say, Sean, I'm married to a costume designer. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> so my, my, yeah, my wife is is impacted terribly, and and thank God my kid just recently graduated from college, so I've got that burden off of off of me currently, and he got a job. So, you know, we'll we'll get through it, but it's not going to be easy. That's my story. And Sean? Um, my partner's retired, um, so that is a bit of a help there. Um, and I've been taking everything we can. I mean, we like set music videos. We do private rentals, Halloween, anything to make a living. It's tough. It's, you know, we would go out to dinner. It's like, okay, we're not going out to dinner because we can't afford it. You know, you have to hit the reality of we have to pay our people here. We have to do what we can do. And so sometimes you don't get to do those things you want to do or those, quote, little luxuries and splurges that you used to do. All right, Michael Marr, owner of uh, Hollywood Honey Wagons, also Sean LeBlanc, uh, corner of Valentino's Costume Group in North Hollywood. When we come back, uh, we go from one part of the world, Hollywood, to uh, another part of the world where uh, horrific events that we all now know about have uh, transpired over the past uh, several days. And we have this question we're going to ask. Did Hamas have any kind of grand plan or strategy with its surprise attack other than, well, just terrorizing, which they did, Israelis? You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. When the Hamas attack on Israel first began, there were fears that Israel would face an additional attack from the north. But that attack never came. And aside from a few rockets fired into northern Israel from Hezbollah, that group has held its fire. So could it be that Hamas never had any grand strategy or any plan beyond its initial attack? Graham Wood is a lecturer in international politics at Yale. He's also a writer at The Atlantic, where he examined this very possibility. Graham, thanks for being with us. I'm happy to talk with you. 
Yes, I remember when this began last weekend, uh, all the conventional wisdom, or most of it anyway, was that this was the beginning of an ongoing battle between Hamas and uh, Israel, and there was going to be possibly wave after wave uh, of attacks and other areas uh, in the region perhaps would join in, uh, Syria, Lebanon. What actually is happening? Yeah, there is good reason to think that that might happen. I mean, the attack itself was put together in such a covert and stealthy way. It looked like it was calculated. And why not also calculate what other partners in the region might be willing to join in and, and, and cause this to become not just Israel versus Hamas, but Israel on a multi-front war, especially in the north, as you mentioned, with, with Hezbollah. Um, but when you actually look at how the operation unfolded when Hamas attacked, there were these atrocities. And what started off as a really disciplined operation turned into complete chaos. I mean, it turned into some kind of pirate raid. And uh, sure enough, in the in the days that have followed, we haven't really seen a step two of some kind of grand strategic plan. And so it's, at some point, we, we have to wonder whether maybe that was just it. It was just Oh, step one was commit crimes against humanity, and step two didn't exist. And which uh, leads us to ask uh, whether or not there was a step two, but somebody didn't uh, didn't play their part, didn't pull their weight. Uh, but there are some other issues here. You know, when this uh, first began, attention uh, really focused on Iran as possibly being uh, behind this, perhaps the instigator of this. Uh, but now we've got word from some U.S. intelligence agencies uh, indicating that uh, Iran was perhaps surprised uh, by this attack. We don't know that yet. They're still looking into that. But there are other people who think that not Iran, but Russia has got fingerprints all over this. Because in the last uh, 12, 13 months, there have been two high-level meetings between the leadership of Hamas in Moscow, talking to Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, and people wondering, well, what were those meetings about? What were those talks about? Was that planning? And uh, that leads some other people to think... Theorize maybe uh, what Putin wanted out of this was a distraction. And already you've got some of the uh, people in Congress who generally uh, are loath to uh, condemn Putin for anything, saying that we must take all of our aid that we're giving to Ukraine right now, take that away from Ukraine and give it to Israel, which is something that one assumes Putin would want. Is there something to that? Is that something that intelligence agencies are looking into? Or is that just a crazy conspiracy theory? It's not a crazy conspiracy theory, but it's not a substantiated one at this point. There are some facts that we do know about. One is that Hamas's military budget comes largely from Iran. That's true whether or not Iran knew that this particular operation was going to happen, knew what the scale would be, knew the day it was going to happen. It's certainly true that they fund Hamas, and when Hamas does violence, they do it with with Iranian uh, supplied weapons and, and, and money. It's also just objectively true that Russia uh, is a beneficiary of this this new situation in the region. I mean, the United States has been, of course, supplying Ukraine. And now, if it comes to it, the United States has already committed resources to Israel. Suddenly, the United States has to start counting its ammunition a bit more. Uh, and that means that Russia has a freer hand, uh, Iran, um, and uh, yeah, Russia... And as well as, as uh, I should add, China. I mean, third in line now is Taiwan. And so the, China has a freer hand in dealing firmly with, with 
Taiwan. So um, there are certain objective realities to the situation that benefit Russia uh, and that 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 uh, uh, include Iran in this equation um, that are true, even if we don't have some kind of smoking gun witness to a, a meeting where either of these two powers authorized or called for this violence. All right, let me ask you a, a ticklish question here, Graham. Uh, for the Israelis to exact the kind of revenge that they've both said and indicated they would like to, it would seem to me they would have to almost uh, disregard the issue of hostages, uh, because so long as they take that into account, uh, it is, uh, by definition, going to curtail what perhaps their deepest desires might be. Do you see that actually happening, though? You know, I, I remember the days when Gilad Shalit, a single IDF Israeli soldier, was being kept in, in Gaza, and it was paralytic for the IDF. There was so much fear that, that he would come to harm, and eventually there was an enormous concession that was made just to get that one guy back. And now, of course, we, we've got on the order of 100 hostages, civilians, uh, who are somewhere in Gaza, and Israel is... There's no way that they can treat each one of those hostages with the same, uh, the same concern that they that they treated that one hostage in, in a previous era. The Israelis seem to to believe that this operation, its outcome, demonstrates conclusively that there is nothing that can be done other than a complete takeover of Gaza and dismantling of of Hamas. I don't see how that can be done. Unless the hostages are, are 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 put in more of harm's way, more risk than Israel has been willing. Are you to saying? Are you, are you saying? Past. Are you trying to say sacrificed? Uh, no, I I, I I wouldn't use that language to describe what's what's going to happen. But you know, the the, the amount of risk that that uh, Israel is uh, willing to accept is is probably going to be higher than it was willing to accept in in previous previous engagements. And it's also not just the hostages, it's also the IDF soldiers. I mean, there could be thousands of dead soldiers as a result of, of an invasion of, of Gaza. And Israel seems to think at this point that that would be worth it because it simply is unsustainable to allow Hamas to have free reign as it does right now. Graham Wood, thank you so much. Uh, lecturer in international politics at the Yale, uh, at Yale, and a writer at the Atlantic, where he uh, looked at the possibilities here behind uh, why there is no wider regional conflict breaking out in the Middle East. Coming up, a mother's horror story in Israel from Israel, where her son is being held hostage by Hamas. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Feldman. Omir Shemtov spent last Friday night dancing and celebrating with his friends at the Nova Music Festival in South Israel, a few miles from the Gaza border. And little, of course, did he realize that by sunrise on Saturday morning, his entire world would be turned upside down. He was among the dozens of Israelis kidnapped by Hamas in the opening hours of the surprise attack. Shelly Shemtov is Omir's mother, uh, who is in Jerusalem. Uh, are you there? Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm just correcting you. I'm not in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm in Herzliya. <laughs> okay. And for those people who may not be familiar with Israel, its relationship in terms of distance to Jerusalem is what? It's near Tel Aviv. Near it's Tel Aviv. Uh, yes. 
Yes. Okay. Tell tell us about your son and tell us about uh, how you first learned that he was apparently among those kidnapped. Okay. So so my son, Omer, is the young uh, son. Uh, he's 21 years old. And uh, he went, like you said, to a party, to have fun uh, with uh, his friends. Um, on on a Saturday morning, we heard uh, bomb shots, and uh, we called him immediately and asked him if everything is okay. And he said, "Yes, I'm okay. There is a bomb uh, the bomb shots here, but everything is uh, okay. I will uh, come back on later." And then after it, on on um, uh, nine o'clock. Uh, we saw that uh, it's not a, a regular bomb shots. Uh, there is a lot of uh, other things that happen in uh, in the, those times. So we called him again, and he he was uh, he was panicked and he was uh, very afraid. He told us, uh, "I'm uh, getting inside the car now," and. Uh, uh, I will talk with you. I will talk with you. Was very. Uh, my daughter told him, "Send us a live location." Uh, he sent us a live location, and then the phone was uh, stopped. Um, and in the live location, we we saw that the car is moving. Uh, the point is moving like. Right and then left and then it was like not normal, Uh, and he was like uh, going uh, near the board. So I called him back uh, to to tell him, listen, you are wrong. Don't go there. Don't go there. But uh, the phone was ringing and Omer didn't answer. And uh, while we are uh, looking at the at the, the 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 live location, we see that uh, is moving into Gaza. And, uh, can I ask how how did you get word that he was being held there, or did you just surmise that by seeing where his live location was? No, no. In when when we saw the live location, uh, we didn't want to believe it. So we thought um, maybe it's a, it's it's a mistake. It's not a, it's not a real. Uh, and then uh, uh, my my husband uh, went to check on him on the hospitals from hospital to hospital. Still, uh, I at home uh, called everybody uh, to 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 see if uh, someone saw him or hear from him or something. And then on eight o'clock in the in the evening, uh, one of my uh, my his uh, his friends called me and he told me, Shelly, I'm so sorry, but uh, I have a Telegram video." that uh, I think you need to see. Um, I think that uh, Omer is in the video. So he, I, I didn't want to see this video. I was like, don't, don't, don't send me. I, I don't want to see it. 
but my 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 brother was near me he sent it to him and uh, we opened the video and uh, we saw omer uh cast with his hands on a pickup truck on the floor near near him was his friend and uh, on the on the uh, and we heard arabic in uh, speaking people speaking in arabic and that, that was the minute that uh, my life uh, was uh, I, 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 i'm like in a nightmare like in a nightmare I, I I can't even imagine um what it must have been like to uh, as a parent to watch the video and to have the realization of uh, what was happening uh, with your son. Um, I am interested in knowing, uh, have you heard from anyone in the Israeli government about any efforts to locate your son? and more importantly, any efforts to get him freed? Okay, so so I will say that the people from the government came here uh, on Monday. They told us that uh, Omer is kidnapped by the Hamas. Uh, and they, they said that they will do everything to bring him back. Uh, I want to say that uh, I believe uh, that the the government will do everything to bring him back. Uh, do you believe he's alive? Yes, yes. I saw that he's alive. I saw that he's okay. Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. Do you uh, have a lot of fear? As we wait for possible ground invasion by Israeli troops by the IDF uh, going into Gaza, I want to say that um, it's normal to afraid. Yes, of course, I'm afraid, uh, but uh, I know that they know to do their their job, and uh, I believe that all they want is to bring back everybody alive and safe. So that's what the things that I'm uh, uh, focused on, that uh, I'm thinking positive. I'm thinking that I will get back my son home and, um, and, 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 and I'm, I'm praying for that all day long. Shelley, what do you think the Israeli government, your government, ought to do uh, in light of this invasion? There's all kinds of speculation about uh, how it will seek revenge. What do you, as, a, as an Israeli and as a parent, uh, and as a parent in this, this horrific situation, what do you think the right course of action should be? Um... I I need to say um, something. I'm only a mother. I don't um, know about politics. I don't need to know about politics. Um, um, I think that they need to do their jobs. My job uh, now is is I want you to understand 
it's it's nightmare that uh, you you have you know that your son is 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 in place that people there are killing uh, uh, people uh, innocent uh, and and for me is night is it it's it's nightmare and and all that I want is that they they that they bring him back home safe and i cannot do anything from my, for my 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 boy physically and the things that i can do is is it to to shout everywhere the situation that i am into but it's not only me it's all the mothers in Israel that there's a lot of uh, uh, missing uh, uh, children, not only children, also also uh, uh, children and, and husbands and uh, 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 brothers and sisters. And it's crazy. It's crazy what happens here. You have people in the United States that are hearing you right now. What would you like to say to us here in America? And what would you like to say to the mothers in America who have children? I want to say that no mother and father in the world needs to be in my situation. Nobody in all over the world imagine that your uh, boy is going to a party is going to enjoy and 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 dance and everything and after that in the morning you don't know where he is and you don't know if they are giving him food or if they are giving him to sleep and I'm in home and I don't want to sleep because I don't want, I cannot sleep if my son is not in his bed. We want to thank you, uh, Shelley Uh, Shimtov. Uh, Absolutely heartbreaking to even begin to imagine. And, and we do, uh, uh, you know, wish, uh, not only you and your family well, but that your your son uh, is safely returned to you and your family, and we hope that that will be the outcome. It's heartbreaking. Uh, that's it for KNX In-Depth today.